This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are back with another roundtable episode of the podcast. My, another dig my fa- scene. My favorite. Yeah. Hey, before we do that, I got I got two pieces of housekeeping we got to take care of. One, thank you to Brandon Trammell. He joined us on Patreon at the 250 level, which means after 12 months subscribing, he's going to get a free request to review and he's going to get all of our bonus content over our, on uh, patreon.com forward slash dig me out and i also want to remind everybody we have a contest going on it ends march 31st at midnight eastern standard time you win a requested review for 2017 and a copy of joyce raskin's book aiken to be joyce of course from the band scarce that joined us earlier this year she uh, provided us a book to give away so if you are a subscriber of patreon you are automatically sub uh submitted to that contest March 31st, join us and you can win. This episode goes live on Tuesday, whatever this next Tuesday is, the 28th. So you have about four days to, or three days, whatever it is, to um, subscribe for that. And we'll announce the winner on Saturday, April 1st for that contest. Housekeeping over, Jay. Let's get to the episode that we're doing right here. Let's do it. Jay, we've done digging your scenes on, we started in Australia, covered the entire continent of Australia in one episode. It was amazing. (laughs) <laughs> then we it took eight hours but we got it done we did and there was an eight hour time difference so it really took like 16 hours but that's neither here nor there we also did chicago that was a great episode talked about chicago of the 90s we did boston another great episode boston of the 90s really good round table on that one we're doing los angeles this week jay and this is one that i've, I've been anticipating because los angeles is a unique music city when it comes to you talking about the 90s because it really transcends the 90s in a lot of ways it pre it's a precursor to the 90s and it exists beyond the 90s as a musical powerhouse yes. and um it's gonna be fun to talk about this and we got a fun round table to help talk about this episode we've got a couple of returning guests and we have a new guest so i'm gonna start with our new guest joining us from i believe the left coast, Mr. Brian yes. Klein. Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Brian, can you tell us what you do for the people out there who are not familiar with you, unlike Kelly? Um, I'm, I'm a music <laughs> manager, so uh, I've been in the management game since I moved out here uh, in 93, 94. I started. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the 90s in Los Angeles was, was definitely... Uh, an eye opener for me and exciting for me, and uh, it was a good place to be. You're currently the manager of Fits and the Tantrums, is that correct? Yeah, that's one of my clients. Uh, I've been working with them for the past eight years, and uh, yeah, Jesus clients. Christ, eight year, really? I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's crazy. Eight, it is wow, yeah, 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 that's eight crazy. years. Wow, okay, way to yeah. chime in, unintroduced person. <laughs> <laughs> that was my split personality yeah. i'm holding back uh that 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 voice you heard was uh mr 
Sean Michael Foster, who has joined us before uh, for, I think, at least two episodes that I can recall. Is that correct, Sean? Yep, two. I can't remember what the second one was, but I remember the first one was Hum. Yeah, we did the Hum, You'd Prefer an Astronaut episode. That was very early, first first season. And then I think you joined us for a roundtable at some point on something. I don't know. We've done so many roundtables. I don't even remember what it is or what it was. So people know you as a, uh, a music video director, film, television. What are you currently working on right now? Uh, well, we've got a show right now that's um, we've got a showrunner on it that's we just shot this weekend. Different from anything I've really, well, very similar to everything I've ever done, but kind of different. It's called, um, this is a temp title, Patchwork. It's either Patchwork America or Patchwork of America. And the host is uh, Matt Kinman, who was a founding member of Old Crow Medicine Show. Basically, what he does is goes around the United States, and the idea is to, um, you know, he never takes a, a, um, a freeway or any kind of modern transportation, and he just speaks to people across the nation that are, uh, that are dying off, you know, and their families are the only way that we know what they do, like fiddle-making and <clears throat> trying to think of the stuff we shot already. Fiddle-making was a big one. I mean, ironsmithing, of course. Um, record pressing, if you can believe it, there's people that still pre- press, uh, press their own records, like just for themselves. So yeah, so we just shot the pilot and the sizzle, and we've got like got uh, members from Jack White's band that drop by in it. We've got uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. So it's basically if the internet interstate highway system was not built, these people would be like not cut off from the rest of society. Is what you're saying? Wow. Uh, the, can I write that down? It's recorded already, man. Trademark. Yeah, just sit yeah, podcast. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take that into the next meeting and be like, "All right, just listen to this." Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, just send me a nickel whenever you use that. Got it. All right. And then third, but also on his third visit, Mr. Kelly Scott Joining us also from L.A. Kelly, how are you? I'm awesome. Yay. Bloop, bloop. Yeah. That's the sound of me bowing. Bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> um, um, Sean, I'm on your Facebook right now. What? I'm checking out your cool. stuff, man. I'm getting behind the scenes. Right on, dude. All right, let's <laughs> yeah. we get, get a link. Make sure you welcome. Uh, yeah, Kelly, we need, you to, yank Obamacare. we need you to be present, <laughs> Kelly. You have to get off social media. All right. We're doing a podcast. Hey, no, I'm just, I'm doing my background check. <laughs> I'm doing my background check. I, I get you. I understand. Uh, what's I had, up? I had a couple of moments there before my intro, so I figured sure. I'd get prepared. You've met Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we know that right now there is a pledge campaign going on for the live Fantastic Planet 20th anniversary recording that was completed last fall. Um, yeah, uh, October. October was the tour. Right. And I think we chose all the songs by Christmas. We had to go through like 18 versions of 23 songs. So like, I don't know, 400 something takes. Sure. Pretty crazy. There's some math there, but I don't understand it. Yeah. And so the pledge campaign is almost wrapping up, and when it's done, it's done. You can't get the record after that. You won't be adding like another round or nope. additional pressings no. or anything That's like that. The only that that'll be the only place it's available. No iTunes, no streaming, 
Um, we still haven't decided whether we're going to go, uh, like provide it when we go out on tour and stuff at this point, it doesn't look like we're going to, but that, that may be a possibility. Um, and if we order more than we're actually ordered on pledge, we might get rid of some of them on our website. Um, but even that looks sort of slim. I think we just kind of want to do it and be done with it and make it a rare item. You know, you kind of had to be there or, or get in on it early in order to have it. Now, bit of trivia, sad trivia. I, I, I drove to Chicago to see you guys play the double door. Did you know that the double door is now gone? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was actually looking forward to that being uh, uh, one of their last shows there. <laughs> I always hated the Double Door. <laughs> I'm a Metro guy, man. I like going to Chicago and playing the Metro. The Metro oh. is awesome. Well, that's like apples and onions right there. Uh, exactly, exactly. Which one's the onion? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, which uh, one's bad? Because you know, I like a nice caramelized onions. onion. That that may have come out wrong. I, I prefer playing the Metro just because of the look, you know, that the band get. The Double Door's fine. I actually had fun. It was, it was it was really cool to be able to play, like, one of the last shows there. Um, obviously, it holds a lot of history um, for a lot of bands through, you know, 80s, 90s, yep. really some cool 90s stuff. I don't hate you, Double Door. Um, <laughs> I hear they're moving down the street, though. That's the rumor. We'll see if that uh, yeah. materializes, but... Uh... I mean, that neighborhood would be almost impossible. I don't even know. Unless, I don't know. It's, it's all crazy. radically changed. Did, oh, did we... Yeah, the tourists, man. The tourists ruin everything. <laughs> it's terrifying in the 90s, early now. Hey, did we just... I think the, the gun violence... I think the gun violence is ruining everything there. Whoa, I we're just, getting way oh, off topic what? here. What? <laughs> what? Did we just... Did we just start our LA uh, roundtable throwing uh, shit at uh, Chicago? <laughs> That's how we roll, baby. <laughs> right. Wow. I think I think uh, what Brian actually did is he just baited me because I got robbed the last time I was there, like five months ago. I got robbed oh, at gunpoint. They took my phone and my uh, wallet and all my money. Oh yeah. You yeah, got robbed. I had that in LA. happen once. Yeah. I, I got robbed in L.A. too, in an alley behind, uh, what is that place on Sunset, El, Com- El Compadre? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to yeah. live there. Yeah, some some homeless-looking dude. I think the only thing he owned was that gun, stuck it to my <laughs> leg, and forced me to give him all my stuff in tears. Ugh. Well, was what year was that? Face pedal leg. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, the weird thing is, is he actually pulled the trigger. Luckily, either it wasn't loaded or nothing went off. Whoa. It was a misfire. Uh, that's when I actually started crying. That was when the, the tears started. Well, I've got some good news for you. I found you on Facebook. Yeah. We have and we have thirty four friends. I know. In so I know. Ooh, and now we're friends. Now we're, we're friends. like totally connected. I just saw that. There it is. Um it's all it yeah. takes. Sorry if I lied and said I wasn't on Facebook anymore. I'm actually not on it. It's just open. Bringing I, people together, like that's what guys, we do here. I feel like yeah, his lovely around <laughs> His lovely mug popped up, and I couldn't resist. <laughs> I had to bring that him into the sense. fold as soon as possible. The way I live. Yeah, I love it. All right, let's 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 bring this back to All right. our, our topic here, which is L.A. in the 90s. Now, when we've done these podcasts before, we do like to briefly touch on some of the stuff that was going on in the 80s as sort of the precursor mm-hmm. to what was happening in the 90s. And I just wanted to run down a few things and... And Kelly, since you moved out to 
L.A. in 87, I believe you said. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. can probably give us a little bit of, of your take on this. Um, when I was trying to go back and figure out you know, what were the predominant musical movements of, of the 80s in L.A., the stuff that would be considered the influence upon the 90s, I was either good or bad. I was looking at, obviously, there's, there's a huge underground punk movement that's happening in mm-hmm. L.A. There's Black Flag, Bad Religion, the Circle Jerks, Germs. Yeah. There's actually a really good book, if anybody gets the chance to read a book these days. It's called We Got the Neutron Bomb, The Untold Story of right. L.A. Punk by Mark Spitz and Brendan Mullen. I've read it. It's really good. It's a good oh, yeah. primer. It's not too long, so you're not. Gonna, and it's a it's done mm-hmm. oral history style. Um, that's a good place to start. There's also books by John Doe of X and, and a lot of people that you can read. Right. So you got that going on. Then you've got obviously you've got the thrash metal scene that's going on. Megadeth, Metallica, Slayer, Armored Saint, those sorts of bands. You've got the popular movement of the hair and glam metal scene of the Sunset Strip, which I, I think yeah. is pretty well documented at this point. And then you've got the, I guess you'd call it the Paisley Park jangle pop psychedelic thing that's going on with like the Dream Syndicate and the Three O'Clock. And mm-hmm. I, I think the Bangles came out Bangles. of that. Yeah. yeah. Those to me were like the four distinct and somewhat important movements because I think when you look at a band like, I don't know, Jane's Addiction, they're combining elements of psychedelic Paisley Park with some of the underground punk of the black flags and circle jerks and bad religion, but yeah. slowing it down and turning it into this mishmash of different sounds that really become one of the true first alternative bands of the, of the yeah. late eighties. Yeah. Um, so well, that, curious... that's one, one scene you actually miss is that actually was a full blown underground scene. Okay. With like, there was like Jane's and probably a handful of other bands, uh, or they, they used to play at this place called Osco's, which literally was a cave. It was underground where part of the Beverly Center sits now. Um, so that that actually was going on. The punk rock scene kind of disappeared and was pushed out by the whole glam stuff. Um, so that kind of went underground because it had seen its heyday. And the real underground is what would the Jane's Addiction and what were some of the other bands that were playing there was a band called Funhouse. There was a band called Fun Chili Peppers, Funhouse. Thelonious Monster. Thelonious Monster. Uh, They were sort of all the bands that weren't playing on, like the Sunset Strip was kind of the center of gravity at that time in the 80s. And all the underground stuff were were playing at just some of these really, the anti-club, the cave. Right. Um, there was a couple different places like in downtown LA, like really sort of hidden away. Dale Gloria, who was a big promoter was like promoting a lot of those type of bands. Um, the white trash, a go-go was another, uh, Janice DeSoto's place. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of LA was predominantly hair metal. Like that was definitely the moving force in the eighties. And does that cover like the Troubadour and the, and those sorts of clubs that we've the heard the names? Strip. Yeah. Yeah. Troubadour, okay. Whiskey, The Central, The Roxy, Gazaris used to be there, which is now the Key Club. Um, and every Friday and Saturday night, you could go up to the Sunset Strip, and they're not even exaggerating, would be 100,000 people just walking up and down the Strip, partying and passing out flyers. Wow. Like, it was insane. It was exactly like uh, uh, everything Motley Crue and Guns are like all the like weird stories that they talked about in magazines, living off a of girl, 
partying and that's exactly what it was. Uh, I was 17 when I showed up and I actually couldn't believe it was exactly like every story that drew me to Los Angeles. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so it was literally the Guns N' Roses Welcome to the Jungle video is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, back to that's exactly what I looked like when I showed up. My hair was like six inches tall and I wore makeup and it was, I was awesome. I was like the coolest kid in town. So how do you find, like, what, what do you do when you get off the bus and you say, I want to go see some shows. I want to find, like, you pick up, is there a weekly paper that you, that you pick up or did you know people out there? Yeah, there was, there was one magazine called LA rocks and another one, rock city news and, uh, uh, Mm. concrete jungle. Bam. Um, bam. Bam! Like all of those magazines, pretty much told you what to do, um, but for the most part, they were everything that you would do was located in the Sunset Strip area. Like there were a few outliers. Like the Troubadour would be considered an outlier because it wasn't exactly on the Strip. Um, and there were a couple clubs in the Valley, like FM Station and uh, the Country Club. But for the most part, the Sunset Strip was the center of everything. Okay, Brian, you arrive like I think you said in '93. And when you arrive, the quote unquote hair and glam metal scene has taken a sharp dive at this point. You know, the famous, uh, I think it was, was Janie Lane said that the poster for Warrant had been up one week. And then the next week, the poster for Alice in Chains was up in the record label. Like all of a sudden they were just off the radar at the record label that they were on. So were yeah. you, where did you go or where did, I guess you knew Kelly at this point, where was Kelly taking you in 93 to well, see Axe in LA? Well, you know, I, I actually, when I first showed up, I didn't know anybody. I, I, I ended up meeting Kelly later that year. Um, so I was just kind of feeling myself uh, around the city and, and looking at BAM and looking at different places. Uh, I was, I was going to big shows. Like I remember, one of the first shows I went to, I think, was Screaming Trees, Alice in Chains, and like mm-hmm. Cad at the at the uh, Palladium. Yeah, uh, that was like a that, that was a big deal for me. But yeah, uh, and when I got to LA, there was still some um, appearance of hair metal. There was at least they were still trying to kind of keep that around a little bit. But um, it was certainly um, destroyed by kind of '90s grunge, Kurt Cobain, you know, rock and roll. But yeah, I, I think early, like, 94, I started kind of meeting people, and okay. uh, Kelly was definitely one of them when uh, I was working for the uh, management team for Failure and uh, marketing team for Failure, uh, among other bands on the roster. And we used to go to places like, you know, Dragonfly, I remember Gaslight, mm-hmm. um, yep. Black Room, uh, you know, Roxy, Whiskey, Troubadour still, Smalls was was kind of like a cool bar yeah that had bands uh oh, remember downtown there was like al's bar um Ugh, hate that place and uh bar deluxe the roxbury yeah i mean it was, it was it was a really cool scene you can go out every single night of the week and ended. go to multiple places what's that <laughs> ended ended, ended. Uh, but we did. We we ran around town every single night of the week, and there was bands playing uh, every other hour that you wanted to go and see. And you just see the same people in different places. That was kind of still happening, probably not as big as what Kelly was saying in the 80s, but 
you know, every club had a thing going on or a night you wanted to go to. And uh, I, I haven't seen it like that uh, since. And it was exciting to be around. You mentioned about joining the, uh, I guess, the, was it the promotion team for failure for their management? Was that what? You know, I moved out to L.A. and I, I was kind of continuing my education. I dropped out of college. Um, I was interning three days a week at a management company, uh, Warren Etner Management, and I was interning two days a week at American Recordings, uh, which was Rick Rubin's label, um, still is, and then working at nights at Aaron's Records. So I kind of threw myself in pretty deep. But yeah, uh, it was with uh, Warren Etner, it was Failure, uh, Mother Tongue, Dashboard Profits, Rage Against the Machine, more... Um, L7 Deftones I was going to say did well, he have yeah. Deftones was a little later but um, after was Rage Faith No More yeah Faith No More was still there Faith. yes but it was a really cool you know it was like uh, it was like school again you know and, and Kelly used to show up on your bicycle right and yeah. we'd be yeah. giving you a handful of flyers to go and and uh uh, you go promote uh, failure playing in town or waiting for Fantastic Planet to be released. And yeah. uh, a lot of fun. Okay, I want to back up for a sec because you mentioned working at a record store. I think you said it was Aaron's. Aaron's. Yeah. So tell me, about the, tell me about the record stores in L.A. Because when we talked to our Boston folks, they told us about a number of record stores. Obviously, Newberry is is a huge Newberry, you know, record yeah. store in, in the Boston area. But those became instrumental in terms of, you know, placing bands that maybe were on minor label or smaller labels or just getting signed to major labels like prominently, so that the people who were in the scene could, were just like eating those records up. And those record stores would even be like working with. Um, radio stations or what have you to put on like just local festivals. Like I think there was like a huge battle of the bands out in Boston that was going on once a mm-hmm. year that was involving one of the radio stations. And I'm curious as to you know how supportive of or how how can or how supportive can they be like a record store of local artists when they have obviously they're going to want to put out whatever's popular because that's what sells and you have to obviously sell merchandise. But were you guys able to? take a band that maybe was lesser known and, and, you know, publicize them or put them prominently on display in the store. Well, Aaron's was like the big indie store predated, uh, Amoeba in LA. And it was, you know, not as big as tower records or some of the big box kind of, uh, places that were around town, but that was like the cool spot. Wouldn't you say Cal? Yeah. And they gave top dollar for all the free CDs that I got from record companies. <laughs> well, that that was the next thing that they definitely support local music because uh, yeah. along with myself, uh, who who didn't earn much money, we used to just get gangs of uh, CDs and go there, and they pay us like four or five bucks. Yeah. You know, well, and, you know, Aaron's uh, yeah. actually, Aaron's actually also uh, when I was in Liquid Jesus, I remember we would take our. Uh, uh, self-made like albums demos whatever and aaron's was one of the few places where we could take like five or ten cassette copies mm-hmm. and uh they they put them down there on consignment and sell them for us yeah yeah 
Um, you know, and you can never do that there. today. You can't have no. anything in a record store that doesn't have a, a, a UPC number on it. Right. And you can go there and, and have like an event. You can, you know, do your record release party there. And um, uh-huh. they, they definitely catered. They took themselves very seriously at, uh, oh, at yeah. Aaron's butt. I, I figured out I did not fit in after a while. I was not indie yeah. or cool enough. I still I had the, you know, classic rock wet behind my ears kind of uh, thing going on. But yeah, I did not fit in. I definitely got fired from that job. <laughs> 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 so when they got like the new Rush album, you were like, "Yeah, this is awesome." And they were like, "What?" Maybe oh. not Rush, but I'm like, "Oh my god!" You know, this Pearl Jam import just came in. Everybody, they're like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Not I think I think Jay and I have been on the other end of that, where we go, we went to the front counter of the store, sort of sheepishly, like, uh, "I, I want to get this. Um, want to get Motley Crue's uh, self-titled album, Chuck <laughs> Robbie." And they're like, mm-hmm. oh. yeah. Like, really? <laughs> what was that a movie with uh, John Cusack and Jack Black? Oh, High like Fidelity? High, high yeah, Fidelity. yeah, that's oh. what it was like. Amoeba's like that, too. I, I think that's a prerequisite. Amoeba's a little nicer. A, a record yeah. store. That's what makes Discogs so great. I can go online and buy whatever I want, and I have no shame. But, cause I, cause oh, I'm, I love that place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Discogs and eBay, that's where I do all my record shopping. No yes. judgment. No judgment uh, whatsoever. Cheater, man. Cheater. <laughs> well, you know, I like to save a few bucks, but I like to rock and roll. All right, all right. That's fair. Sean, I yeah. want to bring you into the conversation because you came into L.A. a little bit after this. You came in about 96, and this is when, you know, grunge has run its course. The the right. the, the, <clears throat> the musical movement that was grunge probably keeled over sometime in like 94, 95. And you saw this influx of bands that maybe sounded a little bit like Pearl Jam or a little bit like Nirvana, meaning Bush, Silver Chair, Our Lady Peace, Collective Soul, all those sorts of bands sort of popping up. But what it did (laughs) is really just open the whole country up. Tell us a little bit about, you know, you moving out to LA, why you did so, and then where you sort of went originally to see bands and find new artists when you went out there. Well, first thing, where I went, the first place I ever had even a drink in L.A. was uh, Smalls. And so that was a really yes. awesome reperta- representation of what I wanted to see. Because, you know, when I was thinking of cities in the 90s uh, that I wanted to move to when I you know, graduated high school and college, which I did go, end up going to college, but I, uh, <clears throat> L.A. was definitely not at the top of my list because that was the height of fucking horrible glam, which I was not... I was not a fan of glam, like, like straight glam at all. So, uh, yeah, the first place I went was um, Smalls, and that was a very cool indie indie kind of feeling place. But uh, the music scene was kind of everything was uh, disjointed because um, you had like your collective souls, you had your you know really, you know. I remember at the time the only things that were popular that were doing well that I really liked was you know Beck, obviously, and. I can't think of anything else right now, but um, so I was always trying to find, you know, cool stuff and just going out. To, I didn't even know where the hell I was going out of Thomas Guide and I would hit, you know, wherever. And that's how I found Bluebird, who Brian actually managed. That's how we met, who became one of my favorite bands. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it was it was kind of like most of the alternative with exception of one band, which I will name. You know what? I'll name it now. The, the one band that should have been noticed more 
and I still think has never been uh, done is uh, Jonathan Fire Eater. They, oh yeah, were, they were incredible. They were in New York. They were in New York. Yeah. Well, of course they were, but you know we're just talking about a '90s band that never got noticed. Of course they were in New York. <clears throat> so anyway, um, so yeah, I mean there was a. It was just like a. You know, I started listening to like alternative hip hop and stuff because I was not really feeling L.A. and um, and there was a, a band called Jack Drag that was really good that I liked, uh, but they were from Boston. I'm trying. There was one other thing. Yeah, I mean there was. It was kind of funny, there, and then there was there was a couple bands, which is really interesting to know. Do you remember Ten Speed, Brian? Oh yeah, I used to work with Ten Speed. <laughs> yeah, they were in our <laughs> office. <clears throat> yeah, they, <clears throat> so I got there, and Ten Speed was like the hot thing that everybody was talking about at A and M Records. I was like, "Are you freaking kidding?" I'm like, "Okay, whatever." And I, I ended up falling in love with them because I think they took themselves. I don't even. I still to this day don't know if it was a joke or if it was real. No, but they were all awesome. so very seriously. Yeah, they're, they're a good band. They were a great sure. band. I actually went to like 10 shows of theirs because I was just so astonished that they existed. Um, they were just like, uh, so yeah. So yeah, I kind of did most of my work trying to get away from, you know, I think Jewel was huge at that time, you know, and, and everything in my industry that I came out there for. Um, I came out there, oh, to get back to your question of why I came out there. I got hired sight unseen by uh, the music video director um, uh, Samuel Bear, who you know probably I don't know he's yeah he's the man, and he happens to come from my hometown. And through a weird uh, thing, he hired me sight unseen and and hired me and wanted me to come out and do the Smashing Pumpkins video with him. And uh, I didn't go. That's that's how dumb I was at that <laughs> point in my life. I didn't go. And then I, I just called him nonstop again. And he said, just get your ass out here. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was great. And started working on, uh, every video he did and, and was underneath him and learned a lot of really bad habits and a lot of good ones. So, so your hometown is Columbus, Ohio, right? Yes, sir. So he's from Columbus, Ohio as well. He is North side. So that's why he he ended up doing the Holland Maggie video. No, he didn't do it. Uh, That was yeah. It's funny. No, should I even say this? Um, He turned Happy down, the lead singer. Oh, he did. Okay, I thought he did the alcohol video. No, he he gave it to his. um, He gave the alcohol video to his former. It's a really weird story. Uh, He gave it to his former professor um, in New York, and started this former professor's directing career, who had never even held a camera before. And Sam just shot all of his videos for him. And that guy ended up doing like Jewel and, and everybody, uh, garbage, everybody. Like if Sam didn't do it, he would give it to his, his former professor. I uh, hope that's not just totally, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's going to hear that or care, but um, it was kind of a big deal. Oh. Yeah, exactly. You're never going to work with Sam Bear again. <clears throat> yeah, trust. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Nobody works with Sam Bear for very long. That's, uh, that's just the way it works. Oh, oh, okay. Throw some shade. Let's uh, <laughs> let's hear more about Sam. Yeah, let's, uh, more gossip about. Let's turn this into the Sam Bear bitch fest. I think you can go to our uh, Buffalo Tom episode and hear some more about him. I don't think they had a great experience working with him either. So, oh, that's right. Bill talked about. Yeah, him. yeah. Oh, speaking I don't of a big, what's wrong guy. with this guy? <clears throat> no, he was he was the big hair guy that got thrown. He got given. Um, because his mentor, 
uh, Matt Mahurin, who's a great director, just did Sturgill Simpson, everything was knocked out of the business for a long time by his mentor, by his underling, Sam. Uh, Matt didn't want to do the Nirvana video for Smells Like Teen Spirit. He was asked to do it as a favor, so he gave it to Sam. And now uh, there you go. Who? <laughs> now, something I've noticed here, none of you are actually from L.A. You all moved out to L.A., and that's a common theme in terms of not just all of you, but there's a lot of bands that started in other parts of the country, formed, and then as a unit move out to L.A. to quote-unquote make it in the parlance of, uh, of the entertainment industry. And I'm curious what you guys think about that in terms of describing a sound for L.A. Because when I think of Seattle in the 90s, I think of grunge. When I think when we talked about Chicago, we talked about the industrial music of like ministry and stuff in the 80s, uh -huh. Big Black, that kind of stuff that influenced that. And then also the we called it the the heavy melodic pop of cheap trick influenced bands like Material Issue and 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 Earth oh, yeah. Overkill and those sorts of bands. And then Boston sort of has somewhat of a of a sound we called like the no, the noisy college rock sound of the Pixies and the Breeders and Buffalo Tom and Dinosaur Jr. and those sorts of bands. But does LA have a sound? I'm just no. gonna throw it out there. No fucking no. way. No, I, I, no, I think LA is wide open. I think yeah. I think at certain times maybe the sound is defined by which band is most popular. Right. Um, okay. But I, I think in general, like one of the cool things about LA is you don't have to sound like anything in order to, you know, find places to play gigs and and just fit in. Um, you know, when I, I you were saying there's... that, I was like, well, what about all the other bands in Boston and Seattle? Like, where did they play? What did they do if they didn't sound like grunge or, you know, noisy college? Or That would stink. Well, I mean, that's 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 kind of what it's like now. I mean, there, you don't have to go to a big city anymore, you know, and that's a, probably a right, good thing. Right, right. <clears throat> I mean, and also, well, I, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but I, I wouldn't even imagine uh, being a high school kid wanting to go to L.A. now. It's like what, if, you, if you go there to start a band, you better have a trust fund and, you know, a studio that's willing to give you, a, you know, favors. Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you can't show up with a shitty demo that has promise and get anybody to no. support it. I mean, am I, am I right, Brian? Totally. And it, it's just, yeah. it hasn't been a scene since me, the mid-90s, late-90s. You know, a lot of the cool bands that uh, we all went to see and supported and hung out with and were influenced by, um, they all got signed and then they kind of got you know, kind of spit out the other end of the record labels and they, they broke up and that was kind of it. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the music that was in town kind of left, I think. That's how yeah. my feeling was. You know, I, was, I mentioned earlier that we would go out and see multiple bands a night on a Monday night. And you just don't see that anymore. And you haven't seen that for a very long time. Um, I, you know, it, it kind of, the business ate it up and spit it out. And then the internet came about and, you know, you can, you can leverage that to get, gain an audience. You don't have to come to LA, but people came to LA yeah. because that, this is where the business was, uh, New York and I guess Nashville, um, you know, not a little bit more so now, but oh, not now, back then. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But back in the day we had our own like hometown heroes. It was, it was definitely tool and, 
Weezer and Failure and um, Plexi, Campfire Girls. That was Campfire mm-hmm. Girls was a band I that was supposed Campfire. to be like the, you were. Yes, didn't you play with Campfire Girls? Yeah, no, yeah. that's me. Yeah. That's Sean. Sean said that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but that that band was going to be the next Nirvana, and you know, and then the the drugs in the industry kind of hit up. Right. Oh, uh, speaking of drugs, speaking of drugs, I forgot to say something, Brian. You know, the only thing yeah. I ever hated, the only thing Don't I ever any. hated about Aaron's records is um, yeah. I think they single-handedly figured out a way to make Brian Jonestown Massacre be like a, a, a thing because I hate that fucking band. And I always have. <laughs> and they, I'm with you on that. Oh, I'm not <laughs> a fan. Well, no, and no, just, no. Work there when they when they did when they like put it all on their fucking walls and everything, and nobody cared about that band forever. Well, all right, here's the deal. Let's let's just get into this real quick. Dashboard Profits and Mother Tongue were two bands in the mid '90s that uh, everybody went out and saw. Right, Andy Timoner was a friend of my roommate, and she yeah. would come out with us and started filming both bands, and it kind of got yeah. nowhere. It was just kind of a thing. But then um, I was, my buddy was managing Brian Jonestown, and we brought her down to that Viper Room show, and that's where she started filming that documentary. Yeah. So she's the yeah, one who like got that done, and ended up blowing them up years later. But no, they were kind of there's just a bad stone sounding thing, you know? Yeah, no, just battle <laughs> together. Uh, but but the movie's great. I got no problems with the movie, and and I think yeah, Andy's great. Uh, it just really pissed me off because I had just gotten to LA and I was like, why are they fucking supporting this band? This is not a band we're supporting. And well, you know, no, it's garbage. I don't think anybody band. really anyway, supported sorry. it. I think people went because he was like bipolar or whatever and and yeah. um wrote a lot of songs. You didn't right. you didn't know what you were gonna get. Right. A, yeah. A serious spectacle. Right. They're definitely not the kind of band where you walk around humming their tunes. No. I mean, and they're they're a San Francisco band. Was that a common thing? Like San Francisco bands would kind of come down to LA to try to extend themselves, or I don't know. Yeah, there was build a crowd. them and that there was them and that other band that kind of came down together. It seemed uh, Warhols. Dandy Warhols. Uh, oh, Dandy yeah, Warhols. Dandy Warhols. Yeah, yeah, yeah they well, both they, showed they up, were... and the whole thing was a serious eye roller. Yeah, yeah not, it, was, not... it was late and it was put on. Right, it wasn't like. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't failure? Where failure to me was very clear eyed and like exciting and different, you know. And that kind of came. You guys kind of came out of the same scene as Tool and Weezer, and you know, it, Although, that was real. The thing, the thing I'll t- just to interrupt you to say about failure is that uh, I think actually Tool was more easily digestible. Failure, I thought. I remember the first time I heard what's the one with the frog on it. Magnified, yeah, yeah. The fucking, I loved it, but I didn't understand it, and it took me a couple times yeah, to listen weird. to it. And that's it's totally I, I, weird. I always loved that about 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 your band. I mean, I just, I, I mean that that that's that's the coolest thing I think about us, and probably the worst thing. Like you can't just listen to it; you have to think about it. Yeah, but that's and, great. Yeah. You know, most people most people don't want to think about what they're listening to. They just want to listen to it and, you know, sort of go off somewhere. Music for most people is an escape. It's the infinite right, jest of a, rock music. There's a lot of bands that were smart. And I think Kelly was a smart band. I feel like Tool was a smart band coming, you know, out of the Los Angeles scene. You, 
you know, it, it, it definitely had something to say. And uh, there was, you know, there's depth there. You know, I think yeah. there's a big difference between what came before that and the hair metal scene and what came after that, you know, kind of post-corporate uh, record label scene. Yeah, and I was going to kind of say this, a similar point in that you had a lot of bands in the late 90s in L.A. that were that were smart or socially conscious, and that was not going on in the late 80s. Was that like a, do you think, a reaction to that in any way? It probably was. I mean, the, the late 80s were pretty stupid. You know, it was it was uh, stupid in the sense that it was sort of kind of frat behavior. You know, it was like chicks and booze and money and excess and don't think about nothing, don't care about nothing. It wasn't quite punk rock um, because there wasn't a whole lot of violence. They they got rid of the violence and wore makeup. You know, it was very much more feminine than punk rock. Well, it was the Reagan '80s of you know Wall Street excess and. New York had its excess and LA had is its excess. They just did it in different ways. In New York, it was, yeah. you know, Wall Street and Coke, and in LA, it was glam rock and Coke. So it was just different yeah. things with Coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like I feel like I didn't do Coke then. Um, but my, my first week in LA, well, I went to sound. I went to. I didn't. I went to Sound City. And um, the engineer there played me Rage Against the Machines' first album right there in the in the room, and that blew me the fuck away. That uh, that was definitely something dangerous, socially conscious, and uh, exciting. You know, uh, yeah. ended up working with them a, a few years later, but um, there was definitely like Cypress Hill. There was just some heavy shit going on post um, riot. You know, it became real, oh, you know, yeah. everything kind of became real and, uh, and a lot more dangerous than, than <laughs> that I, I was listening to, uh, is, um, is major labels were supporting those bands in LA at that time and giving yeah. them like real money. Yeah. They were supporting know, the arts and supporting the arts. Exactly. And, and which, pro- you know, which probably supported, you know, every cool, well, what was the club that was, uh, down on Pico, you know, that indirectly you know got supported uh what yeah you know that one well, anyway the, the music machine no it's a chat not chatterbox uh oh jabberjaw 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 yeah jabberjaw, jabberjaw. Yeah, yeah. jabberjaw. Yeah. i love that place we yeah, used to so play like, there a lot so like you know major label bands would support you know indie bands and bring them up through playing those cool clubs you know i mean yeah, I mean, none of those clubs exist anymore. I mean, obviously. Nope, nope. Uh, a lot of that is because they were run poorly, too. Well, sure, but yeah. You with know, the, most run, club run owners poorly. were just wanting to party for free. Right, right. Well, r- you know, run poorly and also getting squeezed out by... I, I'm really coming off as, like, the, the hater of L.A., but I love L.A., but... Um, yeah, yeah no, L.A. is definitely a love-hate place. I mean, yeah, you, totally. you can't love it without hating it, or there's, yeah. I think there's something wrong with you. Yeah, right. right. Um, But back back to what you were saying earlier, I actually consider myself from L.A. uh, because I moved out here a week out of high school. I was 17. And previous to that, my father was in the military. So I only lived on military bases for three years at a time. Um, So I never really was from anywhere until I moved here. You know, certainly my personality and my everything musical about me is a direct influence of living here for 30 years. Interesting. 
I just wanted to throw that in there. So take no, that. No, I, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think Brian can say the same thing, and I can. I lived in L.A. longer than I ever lived in my hometown. Same with you, yeah. Brian, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, every year I feel more like an alien going home and visiting family and friends. So, yeah, I, this is definitely more home to me than, it, than uh, the East Coast ever was uh, now. Come to Nashville. Nah. I love um, Nashville. I've been thinking about moving to Nashville, actually. Great. There's a cool little scene out there. It's amazing. Yeah, but I'm afraid it's going to get destroyed, so get here quick. Yeah. And you can afford well, to buy a house there. Uh, yeah, if, if you're Still, smart. kind of. Yeah. yeah. You know where houses are cheap? Central Ohio. Huh. <laughs> yes. uh, oh, yeah, Michigan. but it's Central Ohio. And we have an airport right yes, here. You, do. You, can go, you can go anywhere. From that airport, I have an airport in my house. Um, <laughs> connects me to Wi Fi. Oh, nice. Um, you know what's the coolest see. thing? Actually, do you guys know? Uh, oh my god, what's her name? That cute little girl that interviews bands. Uh, yeah, that's it's from Ohio. Yeah, kids interview bands. That's that's Chip's yeah. daughter. Yeah, yeah, Chip, Chip yeah. What's, I, yeah. What's her name? Piper is the Piper. one who's doing it right Piper. now. Piper. Piper. Yes, she's great. Um, that She's, is the coolest thing about Ohio at yes. the moment. Well, I hate to be the guy to break in. Like, Ohio's got probably <laughs> the most richest musical history of maybe any state, uh, in my opinion, in, a, in, in America. I agree with that. Yeah, but they're going to call you that. back when they do the Ohio episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is L.A. This is the L.A. episode, and... You know, last time I checked, Ohio did not start like Coachella. You know, no, no, that's like, true. No, no, no. There's to his point though. I Ohio does have a great musical history. Actually, I I, um, I, I love yeah. taking a dig at Sean whenever I can. But you're right. I used <laughs> yeah, to band. Exactly. I had a band yeah. from Ohio that no one's ever heard of. The and, Sun. Uh, I learned a lot about. But they were the best. Sun. They were pretty Who? awesome. Um, exactly. Who? They were called the Sun, and I I, I got them. Oh, I remember them. To, I liked them. Yeah, I got. They're great. Uh, great drummer. We were working Sam with Brown. them years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah. Jay and, and I. Uh, Jay and I can tell stories after with about the Sun after we after we're done with the official <laughs> podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. Can, so can I when the lead singer stole the van in the middle of the night and left the recording session in New York and drove home. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I love and that I was guy, and I've got I've got stories. Yeah, piece of work that guy. We'll do a whole uh, separate anyway, episode uh, just on the sun at some point. But um, <laughs> oh, I want to uh, ask you guys. I want to ask you guys a question. Now, you guys have mentioned a band here or there. I want to ask you. Tell me, each one of you, tell me a band that you saw that was an absolute nobody when you first saw them in a s- small club somewhere in L.A., and then six months, a year, whatever later. They're the biggest band in the world. Huh. Everybody has that story where that's, they're like, I saw them first. Kelly, tell me that story. That one's, that one's easy. That would definitely be Tool. I actually was in a band called Dumpster in 91, and we had Tool open up for us at uh, the Central, which is now the Viper Room. That would definitely be that. As soon as they played Sober, I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> instantaneous. Cool. I, I'm not quite sure I've had that feeling with another band. And certainly if I did, they didn't make it anywhere. Okay. Um, that was usually a bad sign for a band if I said, holy shit. But with Tool, <laughs> it worked out. It did. Tool's great. Sean, tell me yours. 
man, that it's it stumped me when I when I thought about this. Uh, Brian, you might have to help me with this, considering we probably went to every show for ten years. Um, I, I think yeah, the one. I don't think you went with me though. I mean, if it's got to be LA centric, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it kind of answers your question, but kind of doesn't. Was um, damn it, I can't remember the the name of the first band that they were called, and then he he changed over. Brian, the the guy that had the, the something Jettas song. What? Fancy Jettas. Yeah, you're on your own. Dude, they're from where hometown here. Where's the gong? Oh, you're talking about like Incubus or one of those no. bands? Lincoln Park? No. no. Lincoln Park? <clears throat> Damn, I'm going to look this up. All right, we're going to bounce to Brian then. Brian's going to give us right. his pick for the one that uh, started with nothing and, and blossomed into a huge band. Well, I'm going to sort of cheat because, uh, you know, uh, Josh Hami used to be in Caius. But um, Kelly was around as well. I, I was working for uh, this marketing company was uh, owned by the same manager as Failure. And the, the woman who was running it, Catherine, used to manage Caius. And then she started managing Josh again. And it was called Gamma Ray. And it was, kind of, it was right before they switched to the Queens of the Stone Age. But I feel yeah. like that was that's kind of like the only cool band that I, I really liked that um, I kind of knew of super super early maybe not had seen them in like the desert or anything like that but i mean uh, i definitely knew uh of it as it was forming and uh have you know known josh for that many years so uh it would be queens and you know i've kind of kind of worked with bands uh and musicians have been in and out of that band for many years so i'm quite familiar with uh with those people cool Sean, are you back? I'm back. Um, yeah, but the, the one that I, I remember literally. What's that? Hoobastank. Hoobastank. <laughs> <laughs> don't even get me into my Hoobastank story. I don't even want to go there. Sugar Ray. Everybody wants well, to hear your biscuit story, by the way, after we talk about this. Oh, Limp Biscuit story? Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, okay. I will say this. Um, I saw a showcase where, uh, Brian, you, you know Corey. Corey came late and I was standing watching this band thinking like they're either going to change rock music forever or, um, or just they're the worst band in the world. And right now I still can't think of what they're called. You guys are going to tell me what it is, but they ended up becoming uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Was it Phantom Planet? No. No. What was that guy in before that? The lead singer. Edward Sharp. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, he won like a Grammy a couple of years ago. That wasn't his name, yeah. but no, but he was in a band before. That. I thought it was like Phantom Planet or something. Oh, like that. um, uh, Justin Justin Meldell Johns from Beck played in the band. Yeah, Sugar yeah. Cult, kind of discoy. Was yes. it Sugar Cult? Um, no, yeah, no, I, they were awesome. Uh, I know who you're talking about. now. Was it Fool's uh, Gold? Justin was the bass player. Oh, Fool's Gold are great. Uh, mm. Justin was the bass player, and they had the drummer from Beck also, exactly. and that guy from Edward Sharp. Yeah, um, and he completely changed his look. Completely changed his look and became Edward Sharp. Before that, they were like new wavy kind of. They Holy. lived yeah, up yeah. on Laurel Canyon and had all those cool parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wait, I used to go uh, there. there. So yeah. his, his like name is you. not Edward. Edward Sharp. This is a this no, is no, no. That guy no. like changed his clothes it, so many I, times. I, 
I'm a robot. I'm a robot. I'm a robot. Right. I'm a robot. You know what? I'm not kidding you. Leave it to the guy in Austin to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. I had never seen a a show quite like that where I was either I was so repelled to hate it or I thought that maybe they could be like the next Smiths or something. Like I I, Yeah. They they were cool live. They were really cool live. It was different. It had a really crazy energy to it. Yeah. Yeah. They they ruined one of my bands. They absolutely ruined one of my bands. I had a band, Hometown Hero, uh, that, uh, that now is a, a singer. Is AWOL, he's AWOL Nation. But I remember they became friends with that band, and they thought they were the coolest thing in the world, and that band, Hometown Hero, completely lost their identity because of that. And uh, that was crazy. I, uh, but, yeah, they were amazing. Yeah, well, that's, that's why I was trying to tell you Hometown Hero, Hometown Hero. I knew that they were connected, but... Yeah, yeah, they were definitely that. slated as the next big thing coming out of oh, yeah. LA. There was so Roman much buzz Coppola's around on robot. Videos. I mean, they had Roman Coppola. They had, I want to say, yeah. like Fair did one too. They were spending major money on that band. And then they broke up and he became folk, arena folk. Yeah. Arena folk. Mm-hmm. The best kind of folk. In- Yuck. Uh, <laughs> Jay with the commentary. I've never heard of I'm a Robot, and I don't think I've ever actually heard a note of Edward Sharp. I'm disconnected. Yes, you you have definitely I? have. Have they been in a commercial? Yeah. Every okay. commercial. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're billionaires from that damn song. Yeah. Yeah. I got that song Home. Yeah. It's just oh, called. Oh, that song? Right. Oh. Okay. Yeah. He won a Grammy for something uh, a couple of years ago, also. Like he did a soundtrack or something or the music for a yeah. movie. And he wound up winning the Grammy for it. Well, yeah. I have watched uh, the Grammy. It was a witch yeah, girl. beat uh, Metallica, so I've been protesting ever since. The... <laughs> we're we're getting close to our hour limit on this episode, so I want to yeah, I want to did we get up. what you needed? Well, I, I, I feel got like a lot. Been nothing but us bantering. It's been banter, but we got a lot. You guys have yeah. actually inje- injected a lot of personal info that is relevant to explaining the scene, um, and we kind of covered the you know, the big themes and, and, and some of the, you know, more gory details of, of the scene. I just asked you about bands that you saw rise to the, the cream of the crop. Oh, I, I, wanna... I just thought something. Okay. I just, I'm sorry. I got to interrupt. I mean, why have we not <laughs> mentioned Spaceland? I mean, that has got to be, that oh, is yeah. Like, yeah. people are going to be pissed if we don't mention Spaceland. I mean, What's that's Spaceland? Um, uh, that was like the club for the, you know, the new Silver Lake scene that was happening down there. Yeah. Beck yeah. was there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got to talk about Spaceland for sure. Well, I think, you know. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, boom. Darn. We're done. <laughs> Lock up the doors. We're going home. You got, you guys got to find people who don't know each other for this round table. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, let me ask you guys about this. What are the bands or what is the band that you saw? You said, "Holy shit! This band, I, this is amazing." You thought this is gonna be this is gonna be the band that this is the I'm a robot band, and then they never did anything. And you're like, "I cannot believe that band wasn't huge, wasn't big." I mean, we've seen that even here, like on the local scene. You're like, "Wow, this band is gonna blow up," and then something happens, and they just don't. Whether it's internal or external forces working against them, I'm gonna start. The opposite, and I'm gonna start with Brian. Brian, tell me a band that you saw. You were like, 
awesome, and then nothing ever happened with them. God, man. Kelly, would you take this the wrong way if I said failure back in the day? No, that's who I was going to say, actually. Oh, man, I'm sorry. You want me to try Um, another one? No, I wasn't going to say that. Uh, No, no, seriously, for me, it was failure because we were waiting for that album to come out for a good, well, at least when I was around you, a good two years plus. And I remember being at the record release party that you had at Melvin's or a keg and everything. And it was just mm-hmm. exciting that that album was out. And then, and Troy just uh, joined the band maybe right before uh-huh. that. And I don't know. I, I felt like, you know, we were all hanging together and that was a, that was a, a really, it was a great album that didn't date itself within the, in the, the couple of years that I had it before it came out. And yeah. Yeah. That, that was a band for me. That was, I was super excited for you guys to, go out there and finally do it. And I, I guess, you know, it took 20 years, but, um, yeah, yeah, that, that would yeah. be, that would be the band for me then, you know? Okay. That's, um, that's a great one. That's a good pick. You took, you took one of mine from there. So, all right, then Kelly, I'm going to jump to you. What is your pick? Um, God, there's so many, maybe a there's, band you, that uh, opened medicine, for you guys or, okay. Yeah. Medicine, medicine, uh, mother tongue, I thought was a really brilliant band. Oh God! I mean, it's it. It's funny because I mean, the the question, the answer is pretty much every band I've seen, and well, not every, but especially during the '90s, like most bands that you saw out here were like really good and had their own thing. Um, well, let me give you an example of of going back and listening, looking at these artists and looking at albums that came out in the '90s. I'll give you one, and this isn't a band that was new in the '90s. They had been around for a while. But Red Cross's mm-hmm. album Phase Shifter, I feel yeah. like they yeah. should have exploded with that record. Like that was a perfect record for that time, and they didn't do anything with that record. Like it didn't, it didn't expose them to a whole new audience, and it didn't. But that's a great record. That's my favorite Red Cross record, and yeah, it just didn't happen. And some, I don't know why. It just sometimes those things just don't connect with people. It's not the right sound for that exact moment or whatever's big at the time, but. That to me is is a band that should have been way huger, way huger. That's not good English. Uh, it should have been much bigger. Ohio, than, yeah, it's my Ohio uh, uh, accent. Um, although I'm not from Ohio originally, like you guys, I moved. Oh, um, I mean, uh, there were so many bands like Jellyfish should have oh, been massive. Shit, yeah, yeah. Um, what about you know, Plex- it had like what about Plexi. Plexi, oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, Plexi, another band. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael, God, there yeah, was Michael. Campfire Girls was a perfect example, yeah. actually. Campfire Girls is a perfect example of a band that had everything going for it, but pretty much messed it up for themselves and was cut loose from their record company. Oh, what about Possum Dixon? Eh, eh. I didn't like their name. That's it. I gotta say that is a band that, that has been a, become popular. That is a band name that has been like the running joke for Jay and I for like twenty years. Because it was like back when we were at the radio station, we'd get like 500 CDs a week from record labels. And you'd be like looking uh-huh. through them and like, what are we supposed to play this week? And that and that. And you'd see like Possum Dixon. You're like, yeah, that sounds like pretty much the most generic like 90s na- band name you yeah. could possibly think of. Yeah. And so like whenever we're trying to like think of like, what's that 90s band that we can't remember? Oh, is it Possum Dixon? Or, you know, we just throw <laughs> that out over the last yeah. 20 years because. It could have been one of a billion other bands, but that's the one we always go back to. Um, 
who else? Like Soul Coughing was another band yeah, that I yeah. couldn't believe didn't get massive. Uh, we went on tour with them, and I actually, other than Rage, is probably the audience, like one of my most memorable experiences of an audience and the way they worked together. Mm. Soul Coughing was the same way, but in the opposite way. Like their their fans were, first of all, gracious to anyone that set foot on the stage with Soul Coughing. Like I'd never played to a better audience that wasn't our own. And uh, they just like danced the night away. As soon as the band started playing, they were completely lost in their music and everyone was dancing. There were no people standing around with their arms folded. Oh, Soul Coughing was um, amazing. That first record. Yeah. Ruby Boom is amazing. Yeah, their music was great. It was just... Probably a top 10 record. You know, it was just a little too weird for the other 90% right. of people who bought records. I'd put that in the same camp as, as Medicine in that it's, although they're great records, it's just not going to yeah. break through to a mainstream mm. audience. Yeah. Well, medicine reminds me a lot of my bloody Valentine in the sense that their sound almost repelled most people. Right. Like <laughs> it was really hard to listen to if you didn't have an existing vocabulary for what they were already doing when you heard it right. your first time. Mm -hmm. They were um, not an instruments band. They were definitely not a band to be like, <clears throat> Hey, you've never heard anything in this genre. They weren't yeah. the ones to, to start with. Yeah. Right. Um, or even Blinker the Star, which, you know, I kind oh, of yeah. consider uh, Jordan, you know, he moved to L.A. when he, here is where he really got it together and, and released that August Everywhere record. Um, it was did, beyond did me, like, that? why that didn't find a bigger audience. I was in the band, it was Jordan and I for, uh, yeah. I don't know, probably about six years after I left Failure. Yep. Wow. I saw you at El Rey then. I think it was with, oops, oh, was, yeah. Was it um, Jimmy was a Worth? great show. Uh, uh, I love that band we were playing for. That was another another band that I would add to this list. Uh, oh God, I talk to the guitar player all the time. Has a band with the guy from the church now. Wow. Um, uh, Isadore is his new band. Uh, but that band and that 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 actress that does all the shoot 'em up movies and like the glamour commercials opened up the night. Or not actress model. Uh, Javo Javocic or oh yeah 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 Mila, Mila Jovovich Jovovich yeah no, she Jovovich. opened up and then we played and then the band after us they're from Georgia but they moved to L A yes and Remy Zero Remy Zero Remy right? Zero yeah. I lived in the well, same that, building as those guys like right after yeah they were that record you know what we should talk about Villa that Elaine Villa Elaine Villa it's, Elaine is a great but, record yeah. Yeah, seriously. Those dudes were seriously talented. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, cocaine just destroyed the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, they went crazy. You know, he was yeah, like and married to uh, Winona Ryder, big actress, and not Winona Ryder, yeah. the other one that used to be on uh, uh, Charmed or uh, something. The show with Danny from Taxi. <laughs> uh, you know, the boxer from Taxi had that show where he was her dad. Who's the boss? Yeah, it was uh, Alyssa oh, Milano. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, yeah. you went really early. Okay. This Danny is the uh, taxi. weirdest yes. tangent. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> I want to point well, out that we reviewed Villa Elaine in episode 156 of the podcast. So if you go back to never, uh, uh -huh. season four, uh, you can check out that. We've also re we've also interviewed Jordan from Blinker. We did a track by track through August yeah. everywhere, and we interviewed both the Michaels from Plexi back in season two and went track by track through really? their record. Oh, cool. So yeah, hey, I, I feel like 
I feel like I've seen photos of the three of them on the internet together recently. Is anybody like freaking oh. out about them getting back together or something? I'll just ask I just him feel on like Facebook. that. I'll I just feel like now. that's happening. Well, I don't know. I think they're. Pretty I heard. Pretty... I heard something about that. We could okay, use a, we could right. use a vinyl reissue of that record. Is all I'm saying. We, can we use a did nice, a uh, nice hundred. Did a gram. benefit like did a benefit like maybe five years ago where Campfire Girls, Plexi, and one other band played. We all played down at the Dragonfly to raise some money Agnes for Gooch? one of one of our old friends had passed away. Not Agnes Gooch. Uh, what were they called? The kid was on one of those designer shows. He's got tattoos on his neck. He won like the first season of uh, that clothes making show. Yeah, you know, the reality show where you like come in and you make clothes and you're you know, so far outside of my deal. comfort zone right now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. I just feel like I've seen studio photos of them. Uh, I was I was at Guitar Tech once for Agnes Gooch and we toured with Lexi. That was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, Lexi was great. I, I mean that tour. If I remember right, they were on Sub Pop first. If I yeah, then Atlantic. Atlantic, that's right. Yeah. Is that right. work? Let's put a pause on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna officially end this episode and then we're gonna so well, we can I, we can keep I talking don't give, I, and I don't we, get to give my my uh my oh, choice. You have a choice this time? Oh yes. Do give it, please. Okay. Come on. So I'm gonna actually give you two, but it's actually three because I'm combining two that were on the same label. Don't do so. math, just tell us. <laughs> okay, the first one. <laughs> Um, but both of these bands that I'm combining, most people hated, but live were fucking unbelievable. One was Palo Alto. Um, uh -huh. I'll work with, I work with them. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. Um, they were fucking incredible live and they're all models Yeah, and they I all had sex with all, all the, the best women, did all the best Coke. And for yep. some reason, Tommy and I were in a band together. Oh yeah. I mean, they're great people and I always liked them yeah. and their records yeah. they made were not good. Um, nah. the other still on the same label called American records, which is one of my all time favorite labels, uh, was a band called the vacation that, Oh uh, yeah. Live. They were, were fucking incredible. Yeah, yeah. They were debaucherous. They were called the sons. Remember? And when, yes, when yeah, I met the sons, the famous people. Yeah. But I mean, but, they, they were debaucherous, but it wasn't, but yeah. it came off. They all had famous dads. Yeah. They got a famous dad? Yeah, I think all of them had famous dads. Oh. I have seen them. Oh. I think I also saw them at the Viper Room. Oh, yeah. I saw, mm -hmm. them. I saw them at Sunset Lounge everywhere. And then the third one, because I know you're trying to kick us off, is uh, I think the best band out of Los Angeles since, well, either Failure, L7. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm blanking on whatever else. But there was a band called Bluebird. Raid. Oh, Raid. Of course. Yeah, yeah. There was a band called Bluebird that I swear to God, the first time I saw them, I just sat and actually two bands, sorry, Bluebird and a band called 400 Blows that every time you'd see them, you'd just sit and laugh because you couldn't understand why the whole world didn't know. And you knew they never would. And Brian yeah. had to manage one of them. And yeah. yeah. Thanks for telling Bluebird me. Bluebird was cool. Bluebird was great. Bluebird, what did I, say? I saw Bluebird at the L Ray, speaking of which. Oh yeah, yeah. With Queen, they opened for Queen. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. This is that show for Foo Fighters a bunch. They opened for Fugazi. Um, yeah, they were cool. They, were, they, they were, had a Canadian in the band for a while, didn't they? Yeah, he was kind of like under the radar. Didn't have a visa. Very yeah. Uh, he married somebody. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, yeah maybe. Um, That's why I yeah. went and saw them. I had, I had friends that were friends of his that were Canadian. Right. Uh, right. They were great live bands. They were amazing. If you can believe it, the first time I saw them, they were opening up for Gaunt at, uh, at the Troubadour. That's how oh. I... Uh, yeah, which, how weird is that? Yeah. So, thanks, Tim, for letting me get that in. Absolutely. I'm I glad think, you did. I, I did not I'll, know there was a band I'll, named I'll, after a Truffaut film, so that's interesting. Yeah, oh, 400 Blows. Uh, they're the most... Uh, I, I could talk about them for a whole podcast, man. They, they were a absolutely jaw-dropping band. Oh, how weird. Michelangelo's is on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sending him a, a message right now. Well, uh, uh, the 400 Blows first album came out in 99, so it is eligible to be reviewed on this podcast. Just saying. Awesome. Unfortunately, I don't know that first one. I know the second one, but I'll you listen to it. You guys got to do it. Do a deep dive on Mark Lanigan, uh, by the way. Yeah, yes. I, I, I was lucky enough to manage him solo and Screaming Trees for a while, and uh, there's some treasures uh, back then, so you got to yeah. do that. That's a good idea. Well, we've done a Screaming Trees record, but we we haven't dived, We haven't gotten in any of the solo records, and I think some of that 90s solo stuff would be awesome to revisit. There's so much to get into. It's like... You almost spend a month on on his catalog, do like four or five episodes. Um, I'd like to sit down with him, but uh, Jay and I have this illusion that uh, Mark Lennigan is holed up in a cabin somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, typing at an old rickety typewriter with a shotgun on the on the shelf and a bottle of whiskey. So that's that's how we like to imagine him as some like you know strange mountain man who just appears every once in a while with an amazing record and and. Uh, and blows our minds. So I've been told that that's to not the that, truth. I used to think that too. So let's just keep it there. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're definitely going to get around to some solo stuff right, by him eventually. But I want to wrap this up. I want to wrap up the official part of the show. We can continue a little bit in, in, a, in a bonus section for our Patreon subscribers. But I want to thank all of our guests for joining us today, talking about their experiences in the L.A. scene going back to the late 80s with Kelly and then the 90s with Brian and Sean. Gentlemen, thank you for spending part of your Saturday evenings with me and Jay to talk about this. We covered a bit a little bit up front, but Kelly, you've got the failure record, the, the live record. It's at the pledge stage right now, correct? People can go yep. to yep. pledgemusic.com forward slash... Is it failure band? I can't remember what the exact uh, URL I don't even is. Know. Just it's go just to pledge. Go to you, pledge and look up failure, or you, you can go, go to uh, uh, failure failurebandcom and that'll take you to the pledge page. And they can also go to kellyscott.com for updates on what you're doing, yep. including drum lessons yep. via Skype, because Kelly now has Skype. Is joined yep. us. I got Skype. Yep. And um, so if you have a we got it. We're working. We're working on a new record, also. Oh yeah. How about yeah. breaking some news here yeah. and telling us, uh, you know, where you're at in that stage with the new record? Yeah, yeah. We've started working on uh, a new record a couple weeks ago. We're about uh, oh. three or four songs in. Okay. Awesome. And yeah. which segue have you done? <laughs> we haven't done any segues. We do the seg. Actually, we do the segues. <laughs> it's the very last thing we do. Okay, but the next one will be segue ten, right? Because you ended with nine. I yeah. just want to. Okay, good, yeah. excellent. 
Yeah. And, and it won't be uh, Arena Folk, right? Definitely not. <laughs> okay. Nice. Thank God. Uh, okay, good. Uh, we're, God. we're pushing for not a single acoustic guitar on the entire record. Excellent. <laughs> it's, no it's acoustic instruments. Prog rock. There you go. No, nope. yeah. We were we were close on the last record. I think acoustic appears on like maybe one or two songs buried in there somewhere as a a little decoration. Subaru will not be using any of the music from this in their <laughs> in their commercials, right? You know what though? They fucking should be. <laughs> Everybody should be using that shit for commercials. Uh, you're more of a so Cadillac band or BMW. Hey. Uh, Hum was in a Cadillac commercial. Dark There's no and, reason why failure sure should be were. in a Cadillac so commercial. Was Je- yeah, I, you know, all those people, they're, everyone overlooks it. They don't get it. Yeah, Movies, commercials, like, they're just, they don't get it. Well, let's, let's have a campaign starting right now. All the listeners should hit up all the ad agencies with their favorite failure song. Right? See? Oh, you're on to something. And try and try and make it something from 2015 on, because those are the ones we've <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's what I meant. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Tell um, the people, make it known. Make it known, people. Brian, I don't know if you have... <laughs> Or if you even want to uh, promote anything, I know you. You know, obviously, your work with Fitz. Um, are there other bands that you are currently working with that we should know about? Yeah, you know what, I want to talk about real quick. Uh, something that Sean and I are going to work on pretty soon. Uh, uh, duo Lost Kingdom. They're definitely uh, stadium folk. Uh, no, it's just no. a male and female uh, vocal thing. It's really cool. Um, they recorded their debut album about a, a year ago. Um, it's like uh, covers of historic spirituals, but they're it's just super cool. It's, it's edgy and kind of like June and Johnny Cash, uh, Beatle harmonies. I uh, really like it a lot. Yeah, uh, that's one thing I'm going to plug. Yeah, okay. it's fantastic. Lost, um, Lost Kingdom is the name. Lost Kingdom. LOS. Okay. Cool. It's phenomenal. The, the, the lady in it, um, Ariel, um, has just got an amazing voice. And then the, 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 the male, um, why can't I think of his name right now? Dave Green. Exactly, Dave Green. Um, he's a Brit, so it's really, the, the way their, their voices come together, it's really quite, really quite amazing. And it's, and it's very um, uh, Brian Eno kind of production, so it's very um, sparse and it's awesome. It's very good. Yep. Excellent. So that's what you're working on now, Sean, as well as the Patchwork. What was it? Patchwork America was the temp title for the show. Yeah, I'm doing that. And then I'm doing a uh, a video for um, uh, Brian Wright. I don't know if you know Brian. He's He's been – surprisingly, he's on tour with um, um, Aaron Lee Tajan as as his front guitar player. But uh, but he's played with everyone, and he's a, an incredible um, – singer-songwriter, um, definitely coming from the, you know, songwriter world, but he's got a lot of vitriol in him. Um, so we got that, and yeah, I got a couple of things we're developing, but nothing's uh, nothing's booked yet. It's still early. All right. I want to remind everybody listening that they can go to iTunes to leave positive feedback on this episode. They can go to patreon.com back, or forward slash dig me out to become a Patreon subscriber. And of course... Uh, you can go to the regular places like digmeoutpodcast.com to comment as well as our Facebook and Twitter pages. So for Jay, 
Kelly, Brian, Scott. Thanks, everybody. Or Sean, not Scott. What am I saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> who's Scott? Edit. Kelly Scott. Why Kelly Scott. Quiet. <laughs> he was uh, really nice. The recording. <laughs> it's it's just recording. I can edit however I want. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber. Or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.